Hi folks, we're looking at part two of The King's Heart, which is a study on governmental rulers and particularly really looking at the throne of David um, and in terms of Britain, but also the other nations. Um, every nation is governed by some form of government. Um, and here in Britain, we have a monarchy, which is a constitutional monarchy, it's called, where the Queen is the head of state at present, or the person who sits on the throne is the head of state. And then we have uh, Westminster and we have devolved parliaments now and so on. So we're looking at governance. We're looking at the king's heart, how we can turn the heart of the king from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of a lord. He turns it, whether or so he will. It's important to understand that we can change the hearts of governmental rulers by prayer. Um, and by praying thy will be done. And then that gives God uh, legal authorization to uh, start to work in the earth and to start to move upon the hearts of uh, earthly rulers. And of course, First Timothy chapter 2 tells us that we need to be praying for kings and those who are in authority. We pray for all men, all men, women and children. And we do that by praying for kings and rulers because they are the gatekeepers to their nations, their communities, their cities and so on. Now, we looked at that last time, and we're going to continue in that theme. But I just want to share something with you that my good friend on Facebook, David Wine, said that the devil's big dream is to get the jump on God by forming a one-world government before Jesus comes. You see, there is a new world order, and it started uh, when Jesus went and sat at the right hand of God in high. Um, the new world order is the Ecclesia of God, the Kingdom of God coming to earth and the Ecclesia of God being God's, uh, Jesus' agency in the earth. Of course, Ecclesia doesn't mean church in the way that we understand it, which is a holy meeting with a few hymns and some worship um, and, uh, you know, a, a sermon. Ecclesia, uh, originally in Greece and then in, in sort of Roman uh, times as well, that era that Jesus walked the earth in. Ecclesia simply meant a governmental assembly, a legislative governmental assembly, an assembly of people that formed a, a body politic, if you like, to create laws and dispense um, legislation and administration, in other words, running society. So that's what Ecclesia means. We're going to have to start getting serious about this, that our meetings uh, our we Sunday meetings where we we, we we sing a few hymns and we, we praise the Lord and we you know we, we hug one another. Um, that's not church. It's part of it, but it's not the purpose of it. The purpose of Ecclesia is to bring the kingdom government and rule of Almighty God in Christ to earth, and that means dis, uh, displacing and dispersing demonic. Powers, principalities, um, high-ranking rulers in the, the heavenly systems. Um, I'm talking about the, the satanic ones. And planting the heavens, laying a new foundation for earth, which is kingdom-based. And it, it's that's what Ecclesia is supposed to be about. But anyway, let's just continue. And I, I thought that thing with David was great because that's the devil. He sees what God's doing, which is creating a new world order a one-world government under the rule of Christ, and says, well, I'm going to do that first. That's a great way of looking at it. Anyway, let's 
uh, charge on Psalm 89, which is a psalm about King David. David being of God's choice, the man chosen by God to sit on the throne of David, which as we read elsewhere in Scripture, uh, the Bible tells us very clearly it is the throne of the Lord. And that's amazing. That is astonishing. But really what he's saying is, is that the throne of David is my earthly instrument of dominion, is the outpost, if you like, on earth of my throne in heaven. So that the throne of God in heaven functions through uh, the and flows through the authority of that throne, flows through the throne of David in the earth. So let's read it, see what it says. It says here, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord or of Yahweh forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. This is about all generations. In other words, this is about um, now as much as it was then. There's an argument even that you could say that as time gets on, it's even more relevant. So this isn't about some throne 3,000 years ago. This is about the throne of David. And, and of course, we'll look and we'll see that Jesus is to receive this throne uh, and, and sit on this throne. Anyway, for I have said, verse 2, Mercy shall be built up forever, thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. What does that mean? Well, God uh, chose Saul. Saul was the king prior to David, of course. And um, it was at the fall of the house of Saul that David then was, first of all, on the throne of Judah. And then uh, seven and a half years later, he then got the, the throne of, I think it was seven and a half years he then, uh, something like that, a few years, and then he got the throne of all Israel, the 12 tribes. But it says here, mercy shall be built up forever. What happened when God chose Saul was Saul was a, a dud. Saul messed up. Saul proved to be a man who didn't, wouldn't obey God. And so God had to remove him. And, you know, if that was going to happen every so often, because God chose a man that, that wouldn't, um, obey him and of course eventually David was a man who um, as we know fell into adultery and, and all kinds of uh, mess, messed up stuff uh, we know that but God said when he chose David I'm going to build mercy up I'm going to store mercy I'm, I'm going to make sure because I, I, I can't keep changing I can't keep picking different kings so what I'm going to do is I'm going to store mercy up mercy shall be built up forever so that the David and his descendants can avail themselves of that. There's a store of mercy. It's a wonderful thing when you read it. The sure mercies of David. What a wonderful truth. Anyway, we'll look at that. But he says, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. What God was saying was, I want to pick this man David and his descendants, because kingdom is a succession uh, business. I'm going to pick this man David, and I'm going to make sure that even if he or his descendants really mess up big. Well, they'll pay the price for that. There'll be consequences for that. But the throne will be will be there forever. It will be a perpetual throne. And of course, as we know, Jesus uh, is the inheritor of that throne. He says, I've made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David forever. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Salah. Amen. Oh, what a wonderful truth. So the throne is founded upon the covenant oath of Yahweh. The throne is founded upon Jehovah's covenant oath. 
Um, and it's it's a vital truth. This psalm is about the throne of David. It's about David and, the, and his descendants and the mercies and the covenant and the promises and the foundation of that throne. And what I want to show you is, is just as we said about how the throne of David is the throne of the Lord on earth, verse 18 says, For the Lord is our defence, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. In Psalm 89. And what that's saying is, is that David is the king. He's the human king. He's the 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 king, the, the man who's the king. He's the human king. But there's a heavenly king. And that heavenly king is Jehovah, is Yahweh. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the ultimate king. He's the one that everybody uh, serves as our heavenly king. The, the king in heaven, Yahweh. And... um. That's that's something that's fundamental to all. So that David, as human king on earth, uh, in Zion, uh, on the throne of David in Jerusalem, God's authority, God's power, God's presence is with him and his authority that he has in heaven and that he has throughout the universe is David is a conduit of that. David, the power and authority of God flows through the throne of David. In the earth, and that we need to see that. And verse twenty-seven of Psalm eighty-nine says, uh, verse twenty-six says, "He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the Rock of my salvation." So David is saying here, uh, "God's my Father; He's my Rock; He He's He's my God; He's the one that I bow down to; He's the one that I recognize as as my God." And then it says, verse twenty-seven: "Also, I will make him my firstborn." higher than the kings of the earth. That's what it's saying here about, God is saying about David, I'll make him my firstborn. I'll make him higher than the kings of the earth. So, and here's the here's the important thing. If you want to have a debate or an argument about who is the highest power on earth, there is none. There is no debate. There is no argument. There is no fight about it. It's whoever's sitting on the throne of David. It's not uh, the the leader of the free world uh, has has become a term that we use about the American president. And and there's a contest. It seems like the the president of America, the Pope, various people, president maybe of the EU, president of of Russia. Everybody wants to be top dog. Everybody wants to rule the world, as the song goes. And there's a truth to that. But God says, I've settled this. See, Psalm 2, he says, I've set my king in my holy hill of Zion. And that, that Psalm is messianic. We know that from the New Testament because Jesus is the ultimate ruler, uh, the the end ruler, if you like, who will sit on the throne of David. But scholars will tell you this, and there's a truth to this. Like we need to see whoever is seated on the throne of David. In other words, it's a promise for Davidic kings or Davidic monarchs. In other words, the first application is to whoever's sitting on the hill of Zion, i.e. the throne of David. And ultimately that's messianic, but the first application of it is that when, when, when God is saying, I've set my king, he really means David. He really means those who are out of David's loins, who are his successors. And of course, that the ultimate application of that is to Jesus. It's messianic, no question about it. But there is that application to the incumbent of the throne of David. So the highest seat of authority on planet Earth is the throne 
of David. Now, British Israelites believe that the throne of David in the earth is the British throne. Um, and of course, it, it, it's believed within the royal family and uh, many uh, scholars and so on have um, done studies on, on it and uh, traced the genealogy of it. You can back, you can see it a lot. There's a lot of stuff on the internet about this, that the British throne, the royal house that we have in Britain, uh, traced back through both the English side and the Scottish and indeed uh, the Irish side. Uh, and in fact, many of them, if not all of the major royal houses in Europe are actually descended from from David, from Davidic dynasty. So it's it's a vital thing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, and it's awesome. And the reason I'm saying that is, is that that connection that we have in Britain to the Davidic dynasty means that I believe that God has really put his hand upon our nation. Um, and of course, British Israelites do believe that when Jesus comes back, the, the throne of Britain um, is his to take up because the throne of David. And of course, Jesus uh, in Jerusalem, but the throne of uh, David is now to be found in the British Isles. There's a lot of people, um, and some of you watching this uh, are aware of these things. A lot to study out there uh, for further study. But to broaden that and make it a more general thing, we're looking here at kingly rulers, earthly rulers, governmental leaders. And we're looking at what we'd call the key of David, which is that as we co-labor with God in prayer and in our ministry to bring about the kingdom of God by planting God's kingdom in our societies, then, then we have to be aware of governmental uh, aspects of that in the earth and understand that it's our job to pray for governmental rulers. As it says in 1 Timothy 2, it's our job to say that we need, uh, you might live in a country that has a president or doesn't have a king or whatever, but we still need to pray for our earthly rulers that they will align themselves with heaven's throne. I teach this in my Bible college class about aligning with the throne of God in heaven. That's what David is telling us, or this psalm is telling us here, that David's throne is God's instrument in the earth. Now, that application to the British throne is a powerful one to think about. If if you're British, and even if you're not, and you want revival, because revival in the Old Testament came through the kings, came through the Hezekiahs, the Josiahs, uh, the kings whose heart was right with God. None of the kings of Israel in the northern kingdom, uh, they're all evil. But some of the kings of Judah were good kings, not all of them. Um, but even Manasseh, who was the worst of all, his heart at the end turned to God and he, and he became soft in heart and, and was repentant before the Lord. The point being that we need rulers whose hearts are soft and tender towards the Lord, whether they're presidents, prime ministers, whatever uh, title they have. And so we see this, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So we would pray here in Britain that God would um, work in the heart of uh, Queen Elizabeth and also because she has ministers of state, Boris Johnson right now and, and others in the devolved assemblies, that God would work in all their hearts and that we, we pray that they, they would either improve or remove, be removed, sorry. And that's important. We must pray these things. We must get a hold of God and say, Father, we need you to draw near to these people and move upon their heart, move in their heart. 
bringing about your purpose. And if they close their hearts, if they have a heart of stone and harden their hearts, remove them and give us leaders. As a general principle, we pray us, give us leaders whose hearts will be open to you and soft to you. Now, this continues. You read Psalm 89, you'll see the promises. What a wonderful thing. And particularly, as I said, in relation to your nation, but in, in, in Britain, um, the throne of David in the earth, uh, as many believe, uh, what a powerful thing. And, and that's why uh, we're, we're looking at this as a big part of revival in Britain. Psalm 72 continues this thought. Psalm 72 says it's a psalm for Solomon. Now, it's great if it works for David because David is God's covenant man. He's God's covenant king. You know, God, this is important. God, actually, the Bible says that God made David God made David a patriarch. It speaks about the patriarch David. So in other words, God, um, David pushed the boundaries of old covenant um, paradigm. The old covenant paradigm, David pushed the boundaries of that so that God brought David into a relationship that was akin to new covenant uh, believers. You know, the tabernacle of David was new covenant worship pretty much. God also revealed to David his son seated at his right hand. Psalm 110, the Lord, which is Yahweh, Yahweh said to my Lord, David said, or Yahweh said to my master, sit thou at my right hand. A thousand years before G Jesus walked the earth, David had a revelation that God had a son that he had, that, and that, that son was seated at the right hand of God. What a wonderful thing. So God brought David into revelation way beyond the old covenant paradigm. In other words, the powers of the age to come were opened up to David in a measure, in a good measure. And so we, we need to understand that, that it didn't all end with David. In fact, you could say that Solomon's reign was far, uh, it was a peaceful reign. David was, his hands, he, had a, he was a man of blood. His hands had uh, the blood of warfare on them. But Solomon was a king who reigned and ruled in peace. And Solomon's reign was the zenith, the apex, the, the high point of the old covenant. Um, and of course, it all went horribly wrong. But Psalm 72, it says here, a psalm for David, Give me, king, thy judgments, uh, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. Verse 8 says, this is speaking about Solomon, and therefore of all descendants of David. This is the blueprint. This is a template. This is what God is saying. This is my purpose for the throne of David. And of course, Jesus will walk in this. But any descendant of David seated upon the throne of David can walk in this. Not all did. Not all have. But watch this. Verse 8 says, let's look at verse 7. In his days, that's a descendant seated on the throne of David. Specifically Solomon here, but any descendant, because the covenant is forever to all generations. In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. Is the moon going to stop? Is the moon going to fall out the sky? No. Not tonight. Not for a while. So as long as it's there, this is a covenant of the day and night of the sun and moon. So peace, abundance of peace is supposed to be here. Uh, I was writing a piece this morning on safety. God doesn't promises um, safety or, or let me put it this way we're looking for safety in the middle of this 
coronavirus crisis. We're looking for comfort, we're looking for safety, but we live in a dangerous world. And the only way to make it not dangerous is not to seek safety. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it, but to seek peace. So God's not so much promising safety, he's promising peace and safety comes out of that peace. As we bring peace to the earth by praying his kingdom and by proclaiming the kingdom, planting the heavens, laying the foundations of a new earth. As we do that by the power of the word, the authority of the word and the power of the spirit, as we do that, then peace will come. And that's the result of praying for kings and rulers. First Timothy chapter 2, uh, that if you want to live a godly life in all peace and honesty, then you need to pray for rulers. So abundance of peace comes through rulers. But it comes as we pray for rulers. And Psalm 72 says that we need to be praying for them. But verse 8 says, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Amen. In other words, worldwide dominion. That's what Jesus is going to have, one world government. And so that is the, the purpose of the throne of David in the earth. So pray for rulers. Pray that they'll be godly and then peace will come, abundance of peace. And then we'll see the dominion of Christ. We'll see the throne of God in heaven manifest in, in our governments here on the earth. Sheep nations, we would call them. Maybe not all nations will follow it. But the Bible does say that one day all nations are going to come, didn't it? To the mountain of the Lord's house, that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We have, These things are templates and blueprints and visions that God gives us to say, believe that, work towards that. Receive that. Don't receive that Bill Gates, Bill Gates is going to microchip you and you're all going to be slaves of a satanic world order. Believe that my world order is coming. We get too bent out of shape about how it's all going to work. Let me tell you how it won't work. By not praying, not preaching, not believing, not proclaiming, not decreeing. Just accept that, oh no, we're all going to be um, slaves of the devil. Punch bags of the devil. If that's what you're Faith is in, brothers and sisters, you need to repent. Uh, anyway, I don't want to get into all that right now, but what I, what I will say is this. It says, read Psalm 78, sorry, Psalm 89, and read Psalm 72. Okay? Uh, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Men shall be blessed in him. Prayer shall be made for him continually. Pray for rulers. Pray for governmental leaders. Yes, this is about the throne of David. Yes, it's a specific throne. But there's a general principle here, I believe, that we can say, look, we're praying for godly government. We're praying for godly leaders, godly men of God, women of God, to come into positions of power and be uh, godly rulers and leaders in our land. You can pray that wherever land you're in, even the darkest of places. Get that prayed, brothers and sisters. Get praying about it. Now, of course, um, 1 Kings chapter 11, I'm not going to really get into it. I'm not going to read into it so much. But really, it's a sad tale. What it tells us is that Solomon in his latter years fell away because he multiplied wives to himself. His heart went after women and eventually his, he went after, his heart didn't just go after the women. It went after the gods that these women worshipped. And it actually records, you can look it up for yourself, 1 Kings chapter 11, that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. So his latter end was not good. 
Now, now, he wrote proverbs, of course, or certainly compiled proverbs, wrote many of them. Um, and Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, these things. So he contributed to the canon of Scripture. And he was the wisest man that ever lived, certainly in Old Testament times. And uh, But Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. Um, and I teach in that and other things, particularly in relation to finances and wealth transfer um, and uh, the the life of Jesus. And so I'm not going into that. Point B, this is so important. Solomon had all that wisdom and he had all that going for him. He had the template, he had the blueprint, he, he had all the schematics, the wisdom that was pouring out of him. People from all over came just just to, to gaze upon the stuff and, and to marvel at his wisdom. I mean, the Queen of Sheba was, was even gobsmacked by just how they ran things in the palace. This was a man who was, you know, seeping with extraordinary supernatural wisdom. And yet he, he squandered it at the end. So there's a lesson there for us. We have... All the Bibles, the books, the teachings, the YouTube videos, we've got everything today that our forefathers didn't have. But let me just say this to you. Uh, when a virus comes along and locks us all down, you see that the the virus, uh, the, lock, the term lockdown is a prison term. And in Hebrews chapter 2, it speaks about men being subject to bondage. Because all, all their lives they were they had the fear of death. The fear of death makes you subject to bondage. So lockdown didn't um, bring, lockdown was not brought by the virus so much as lockdown in our hearts was revealed when the virus came. Because a lot of people today are riddled with fear, Christian people, and they don't really want to ever get out of the house again. And they don't think anyone else should either in case we all get infected. So that fear of death has made us subject to bondage. The virus has exposed that fear of death. God wants that fear brought out of our hearts and repented of. There's no safe in this world other than the safety, the peace rather. The safety that comes from the peace that comes from the prayer and proclamation of God's word by praying for kings that their hearts would be turned. The hearts of rulers, do you really think, that they're sitting right now in number 10 Downing Street saying, how can I please the Lord in uh, council assemblies and parliaments across the world? Are they sitting going, how can we please the Lord? Or are they sitting going, how can we impose our will uh, upon the people and get more power and uh, increase our power and fill our coffers with gold? Well, too many people are self-seekers and self-servers. So the point being that we need to pray that the, we would have leaders and that the present leaders, their hearts would be turned towards him and that they become fathers of the nation, fathers and mothers to the people, rather than people who are there for selfish and ignoble purposes. Well, um, let me just finish this part of it because we're going to look at, at this in, in more depth. Let's just close because I don't want to just leave it at First Kings chapter 11. I didn't really look up the scripture. I just feel that that's something you can do yourself and see that the horrible fall from 
the place, the very apex, the highest point of the Old Covenant, and Solomon just fell through um, inordinate affection. And maybe even just being bored would be <laughs> so clever. Anyway, let's finish with this. Luke chapter 1. And uh, this is about Jesus, and this is a positive way to finish this part of the study. We're going to continue to look at this. This is a, a big deal that we understand our role in him as being people who are agents of transformation and change through prayer, through preaching, through teaching, through uh, ministry, that we turn the hearts of national leaders and rulers towards the purpose of God and that they become people whose hearts are soft towards him. And like Nebuchadnezzar of old, they learn that lesson without the harsh way that he had to learn it, uh, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Anyway, Luke chapter 1, verse 31 says, uh, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. This is the angel speaking to Mary, uh, the angel Gabriel. And he says, You'll conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. There's no end to the rule and dominion of Christ. And it's a rule and dominion of love, but it's also a rule and dominion of justice. And what that means is Jesus is in the plan and purpose of God to receive the throne of David, which is a heavenly, sorry, an earthly throne. But earthly and heavenly thrones are, uh, Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of God in high, but he will one day rule uh, from earth, if you like. He rules on earth right now through the, the instrument of the throne of David and also through the instrument of the prayers of his people and of the ministry of the saints and of the the ecclesia, the legislative assembly he set up that he's building, which the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So he's, his rule and reign is now throughout the earth and it comes out of our lips, it comes out of our prayers, it comes out of what we say as we declare his word and proclaim him as Lord. And so there are many ways that his dominion is exercised, expressed, revealed and manifested through his people. So it's so important to understand this. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, um, and it says here, this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down the right hand of God. He, that's where he is right now, in his heavenly throne. And we're seated with him in heavenly places. You and I right now, while all over here on earth, there's a part of us, if you like, um, it's not a great way to describe it, but we're here on earth, I don't want to say it that way, uh, but that might help some people to understand it. But really what I'm saying is we're here on earth, but we're also in heaven, seated with him, in him, beside him, if you like, in heavenly places. And you need to meditate into that. But look what it says about him. From henceforth, he's seated at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Jesus is expecting his enemies to be made his footstool. He's seated at the right hand of God, the majesty on high, and he has expectations. Who does he have expectations of? You and I. What does he expect us to do? To pray to him 
that worldly rulers, governmental leaders, kings of the earth, those who have authority, that their hearts be turned towards him because as Psalm 2 tells us, Psalm 149 tells us, their hearts are not towards him. Their hearts are confederate against him in an anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-Father, anti-Yahweh, an anti-Christ, anti-Christos conspiracy to usurp his authority and bring about a one-world government of their own choosing. Is your national leader part of that? Pray that he isn't. Pray that she isn't. Um, pray that the leaders that we have in our nations will be turned towards his heart and say, look, you know, we need God's word. We need Jesus. We need to recognise. We need to be a Christian nation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to close with, with this verse, okay? Uh, at this point in the study, we'll pick it up next time. Revelation chapter 1. And it says here, uh, Jesus Christ, verse 5, who is the faithful witness. Do, do you know Jesus is the faithful witness? Do you get taught that Jesus is the faithful witness? Of course you do. You know him, that he's faithful and true. His witness is truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. There's nobody more truthful because he defines truth. He is true. And the first begotten of the dead. Now we know that Jesus came out of the tomb. He's the first begotten. He's the first to be resurrected uh, into that glorified state. But we'll all be resurrected one day if we're not changed in the twinkle of an eye. Uh, we, in other words, he's the first to have a celestial resurrection, you know, 10 times, 10,000 million times stronger than Superman body. He can fly, go, go through walls, all of that. Okay? I'm not being flippant about it. I'm just simply saying that glorified body. Paul longed for it. Do you long for it? That's why we have all these Marvel DC movies because mankind longs to have the powers that he was created to walk in. And we're walking them as God's people, as saints, as Jesus' brothers and sisters. We're going to have these, you know, these bodies. Uh, and it's a wonderful truth. But look what it says next. It says, and the prince of the kings of the earth. That word prince means ruler or governor. Do you hear that preached about Jesus? That Jesus is the boss of heavenly rulers. He's the, the top man. Uh, the boss of bosses. The king of kings. The lord of lords. In other words, if you have a problem with your national ruler and you and he won't listen to you, she won't take your calls, you can go straight above that person to Jesus and say, this person's not doing their job. Could you either work on their heart to turn their heart, Lord, and if they don't change... Remove them. Have you prayed politicians out of office? I have. I know people who have. We, we want these people to change and return. I, I, I'm thinking of one person right now who died very suddenly and um, from what I'm told, died pretty much cursing God because uh, this person was a, a, a very bitter atheist. Did God want that person to die? Does God want uh, rulers to be killed and, and, and taken out the picture and, and that's it? So, of course he doesn't. Neither do we. We want these people. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it as the rivers of water. He turns it 
whithersoever he will. God wants to turn the hearts of kings towards him. He, he would rather that than have to remove and re replace that person. But he will remove and replace them if you and I insist upon it. And that's the thing. I'm going to say this to you in closing here. We're going to pick this up. The king's heart message is going to continue. But I want to say this to you. The one thing they fear, the rulers, those who know about all this, and some of them do, the one thing they fear is your prayers. The one thing they fear is you coming into this knowledge, into this revelation, that you have the authority on the earth to change national governments, change national rulers, and to remove them if need be. You have that power. They know that. Some of them maybe instinctively are aware of it, but that's why they try to make the church something that is just, you know, contained. But I believe much of this lockdown thing that has kept churches closed, much of it is about, because the devil knows, the devil knows that we're coming into a season of awakening, of revival and revelation. Maybe more than anything else, it's about revelation because revelation will bring revival and awakening. And so this revelation of the Ecclesia, this is the time when this revelation is coming into the earth. That you, you, the least of all saints, has this authority. You have this authority. So if you say, oh, I'm, I'm not really anybody special, I'm, not, I'm nobody important in the kingdom, that's great because this honour have the least of the saints. What honour? To impose upon kings and rulers the bounds, the curbs, the restraints, the cords and fetters that they must obey God, that they must be compliant with this book and with the purpose and will of God in the earth. And with, in other words, they must obey God's law. And by that I mean whatever God says has to be, that's the law. That's what, Whatever God says has to be what they do, has to be what we do. We need societies like that. We need nations like that. We need a world like that. And so the king's heart is in the hand, sorry, in the heart, in the hand of the Lord, sorry, king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. Pray that God will turn the heart of your national ruler, of, of your king, your queen, your president, your prime minister, in fact, all of them, of national Don't just pray it for your own nation. Pray it for all the nations. And that will usher in the greatest end-time revival of all time, the one that we're all longing for, some of us are believing for. And we certainly should be labouring for the Lord bless you, folks. Let's just close by doing that. Let's just close by praying that prayer. I'm going to pray it right now for Britain because that's the nation I'm in. You pray for your own nation. Um, so let's just do that. Father, we just bring before you this nation. We pray for all men, every, every man, woman and child, that they would come to know you, that the Spirit of God be poured out in all flesh in Britain. And that everyone come to know you, come to know the knowledge of your truth and be and be saved. We pray for our Queen. We pray for the throne of Britain. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would give us a godly Davidic shepherd king or monarch on that throne. Lord, work in our Queen's heart. Keep her from wicked counsellors. Cause her heart to be turned towards you. And for her ministers, the Prime Minister, all these uh, uh, people who have the, the leadership and rule over us in Westminster and the devolved parliaments, we pray right now, Father, their hearts be turned towards you. Turn their hearts to you, we pray. 
Give them a repentant heart, a heart that cries out for you, that longs for you, Lord, and set them in fire for you, for Jesus. Let them be Holy Ghost people. Let them be saved. Let them come to know your wisdom and follow. And those that just harden their hearts, let them be swept aside. Let the wicked be removed and replaced with the godly in political office, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's our prayer. Um, pray along those lines. Pray that God will turn the heart of your national leader to him. And let's believe God that we will see his kingdom come, his will be done in our nations as it is in heaven. The Lord bless you.